was tremendous. <laughs> Your clicking finger is brought you to Behind the Buzz, a public fit theater company's occasional podcast discussing the myriad details that make up the production of our season of plays and stage readings. This is episode number three of season number two. And today we'll be talking about our upcoming stage reading of Dominique Mariso's Skeleton Crew. I'm Joe Kukin, producing director here at APF. And as always, I'm joined by artistic director Anne-Marie Perreth. Hi. <laughs> Not as sultry as usual, but just as bubbly as always. Uh, later, we'll be talking with Skeleton Crew director Jason Nias and cast member Brianna McCollum. But first, uh, I want to remind everybody that we've really only just started talking about the readings in these podcasts. And because we're recording and releasing these just a, a few scant weeks before the actual performances, that means you're almost certainly going to be, uh, that we're almost certainly going to be discussing some potential spoilers. So if you want to remain blissfully ignorant of each and every Skeleton Crew plot point, maybe come see the show at the Flamingo Library on Friday, January 28th at 7, or again at 2 o'clock on Saturday, January 29th, and, and then maybe come back and uh, dig a little bit deeper by listening to this, to this conversation. But since you're here now, you might as well hear just a little bit about the play and what it's about. I mean, in broad strokes, uh, Skeleton Crew takes place in a fictional Detroit auto plant, specifically in a, a division called a stamping plant, where long-held jobs are, of course, slowly being uh, whittled away. But more than that, it, it, it seems to be a play about occupational identity and uh, how we define ourselves through our jobs. Am does that sound about about right? Um, yeah, I mean, I can tell you how I came to the play and um, um, well, yeah, this, well, the circumstances. And you put uh, it in the season. You must, there must be a reason for that. Yeah, well, um, as we've mentioned before in previous podcasts, um, during the lockdown, we read between like 40 and 50 plays. And Skeleton Crew was one of those plays. And actually, uh, Jason was at that reading. Um, and... I was listening to a ton of podcasts while I was gardening in the backyard. And what was happening in the the podcast world was Amazon workers were were um, trying to get you. Uh, they were trying to unionize. Right. And while this play already has an established union in the play, it made me really think about the systemic problems that we have in the United States and our country in terms of how um the workforce is being treated so poorly. Uh, well, and, and that's a that's a, a popular topic. Well, uh-huh. popular. That's a common topic these days now. Just the 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 strength of workers in we, for the long time for the last two years we've called them all essential workers, and then sort of denied them benefits, denied them hours, denied them uh, any sort of of you know living wage, and it's still they're essential workers. It's become a common. Uh, motif now in America. Yeah, so I think that's why it's a really good show to put in the season because we live in a community in the Las Vegas community where we have a ton of essential workers that work in the tourist industry and a lot of them are quitting their jobs uh, because they're not being treated well, they're not being paid enough. Uh, and so I think that's what makes the play very relevant. Also, I, um, I was very interested in the idea that um, the playwright wanted to write about her own community. You know, right. being from Detroit, 
She was um, marrying playwrights before her, like August Wilson, who wrote about his community in Pittsburgh. And marrying, he was marrying playwrights before him, like Clifford Odets, sure. who was writing about his community. And so she's she's just carrying that torch uh, and giving us a, a, a bird's eye view into what it's like to live in Detroit and be part of the uh, the automotive uh, union community in a certain period of time. That's a really interesting comparison. That the the comparison between auto workers and their sort of day to day grind and the tourism industry that we see out here in Vegas. Are there there don't seem to be at the at the surface a lot of similarities there, other than this idea of constant work or not constant work. What am I missing? Well, it's usually people of color who are, you know, in these essential workers jobs and it's the Latinx community and it's people who are struck, struggling economic. It's a class issue. And so that's that's uh, where the tie in is for me. Right. Right. Okay. Let's let's you know what? Let's uh, us two white guys. Let's bring in. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's bring in Jason and Brianna and, and figure this out together because I'm starting to feel, you know, like I'm making huge, giant leaps and assumptions with no real personal background. So let me introduce our, our, our two uh, guests today. Jason Nias is the founder and creative director of Melody, which he describes as an experimental body percussion company performing and, and, and teaching literally worldwide. He started as an NCAA gymnast and then went on to perform with Stomp and Step Africa, as well as with Cirque du Soleil and Cause, Arcana, and also One Drop. Uh, he was the assistant choreographer and acrobatic stunt double for the film Stomp the Yard, Homecoming, and has starred in several independent films, including Finding My Precious Basquiat and Bubblegum and Broken Fingers. Jason received his Bachelor of Arts in Theater from the University of New Mexico and is currently a teaching artist with Cirque du Soleil's New Arts Nomads program. Does that all sound pretty accurate? Yeah, most of it's accurate. Most of it, okay. very last thing. <laughs> oh, no. Cirque du Soleil does not have an Arts Nomads program anymore because ah. of the pandemic. Here we are. Oh, really? <laughs> but you were, but you did do that. Uh, yeah, I did that for went away. literally all the way up until the day the world shut down. Yeah, oh, I was a, a teaching artist with them. Oh, right on. Yeah. And then the world shut down. And, and then the world stopped. shut down. Oh, good Lord. And then they so went bankrupt. Last. And then, yeah. So. And they went bankrupt. Yeah. Oh, They're Lord. rebuilding. They have four shows back up in Vegas now, but they did not bring that that department where we can be teaching artists anymore. So. Yet. They haven't brought it back yet. Yet. And let me introduce introduce Brie as well. Brianna McCollum received her BA in acting for the stage and screen from the UNLV Department of Theater Arts. Uh, I, I remember her work very well in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird over there. Other highlights from her time at UNLV include Reservoir Dogs, uh, African Company Presents Richard III, and you're in As You Like It, too, I think, out there. Um, she served as past president of UNLV's African American Student Association of Theater and Film, and you've probably seen her over at Majestic Rep and most recently at the Asylum in Scherzo, Dialogue with a Statue. Uh, she's also, also performed with the uh, Vegas Theater Company. Skeleton Crew is going to be her debut with a public fit. How's that? Did I get most of that right? Yes. Yes, you did. Oh, look at that. Look at you. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, almost, almost two for two. So you heard Anne-Marie and I talking a little bit about the connection between, uh, and this is for both of you, the connection between um, uh, Detroit auto workers and the sort of tourism industry in Vegas and, and bringing those cultures together. Do you agree that there's some sort of similarities there? Start with you, Bree. What do you what do you think? I would agree. Yes, I would agree. Um, I agree in the way that there it does happen to be people of color in these positions right. that are, you know, working these jobs that are 
potentially pay well until something like the pandemic happens. Sure. And so, again, we're hearing essential worker, essential worker, and they don't have any essentials, you know, and then it's like, why why would those people need to fight for that when that's something that could just be given when we could find a place, a way to just make that happen? Right. You know, um, do we need strikes? Do we need things like that? Um but but yeah, we do. Unfortunately, <laughs> we do. Apparently, we do. <laughs> apparently, yeah. You know, and I, yeah, maybe I definitely... it's we haven't pointed this out yet, and maybe it needs to be brought up. Skeleton Crew is written by a uh, African American woman. Dominique Moriso is African American. The entire cast are is made up of people of color. Um, you two are both persons of color, and, and I'm I'm always a little uncomfortable labeling those placing labels on on a culture that way as a as a as a white guy but i don't know how to do it am i am i is it too too many eggshells or is it an appropriate concern america is crazy we all know that let's just talk about it you america know is crazy the, the titles that we give you know we black people have just been all these different titles over the past century you know like from Negro to, you know, African-American, black at one point. And I know it, some people, because they tell me to my face, um, some white people say, Ooh, do, do we say black? Do we say African-American? Do yes. we say now it's POC? We've also heard BIPOC. And we're like, <laughs> okay, what am I anymore? <laughs> like, it's, that's why I said the word crazy. Yes. It's it, just is, well, like, it is crazy. And it has to be. What it, and yeah. I don't know how you can color an entire culture with one big, strong brush like that. Like, and, and somehow you have decided what is right for the entire culture. I certainly can't do that. Why would we expect you to? Yeah, well, look at America. Like we're this this huge melting pot. I get it that we're we're trying collectively to try to be a little bit more PC and right. inclusive, but we're that one country that everybody lives here. That's just what it is. So I, I understand the confusion. It is what it is <laughs> to yeah. me. Yeah. But you know, the, the more that we learn our roots and our history, that's how we are the ones who, you know, each each culture, each person or person of color, no matter which color or which, you know, culture they're from, gets to define who they are. That's the most important part. Why they is, have their own voice. Let, let me drag this back to the, the play, if I possibly can. Why is that? Why is that culture so quickly and immediately associated with um, in, in Detroit, with the auto workers industry? Why? Why is that? Uh, those two seem so inter interconnected. Or is that outside of all of our experience? I mean, as actors, as directors, is that outside of our, our experience of what work is and what auto workers are all about? It's a little outside of my experience, just straight up, because I don't know Detroit like that. I have, yeah. you know, I talked to Trenton a little bit. Um, he's one of our actors. Trenton Carlson, who's in the in the show. Yeah. And he's from Detroit. Yeah. You know, and um, he, he plays this character who's just like right on the line of being blue collar, being white collar. He is that middle management person. Yeah. And I think he'd probably have a lot more insight into um, what you just asked. You know, it's yeah. like, why, why are black people the ones working the line? I think because the I think from my limited you know it's it's like if an industry has a lot of jobs available and they're they're working class jobs you know like just it's the grit it's the hands on the work those are the people who fill those type of positions just right. like back in the enslavement times who are the people working the land well okay the, the <laughs> i don't want to use the word wrong but the employment the necessary need for the people doing the labor those are going to be the ones who are like hey let me just get this job because yeah. They're they're readily they're available, and I think that Detroit supplied a lot of that, you know, a lot of that labor. So, is there? So I, I talked a little bit about um, the play 
touching on the notion of being defined by one's job. Uh, and and is that is that a cultural thing as well, or is that just a human thing? Are we are we all sort of um, looking at ourselves based upon how we define ourselves um, because of our work and our, our careers, such as they are? Is that a, is that an element of this play? Blue, you're, you're, you've got that curious I, look on your face. It's it's because that's a that's a good question. I I would say that that's a human thing. I don't know necessarily that it's cultural unless it comes from heritage and family. You know, with my family, my dad used to be a boxer. So it's like boxing in my family is a huge deal. That's something that we we have no, you know, there's things like, oh, you know, that's violence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, I remember hearing that as a child, people being like, oh, you know, your brother's so violent. But it, it more so was that we just learned boxing in the home. So if somebody steps to him, <laughs> he can't, he knows how to defend himself right. you know so it's like I never saw him as that I just saw him as defending himself in the art that we learned growing up you know right. so it's like for when it comes to I feel like it has to do with just heritage and what is brought down I do think that's in the play though there is this my dad worked this my mom worked this feel so here I am working in you know in this industry because of my family well you play a character in the play who's been there for as long as, long as the plant's yeah, sort of been around years. she's yeah mm -hmm. 21 years in the same 29. so 29 years yeah. mm -hmm. in the same job right up uh, almost before she would be retired yes yeah after right up right before 30 years um is the is that something easy to identify with? Because you're you're a young woman who may not have a, had an opportunity to have a thirty year career in anything. Yeah, not necessarily. Uh, no, but I, mm. so wait, what's your question? Though? Well, my, my <laughs> like is that so? You know, I, I haven't had a time. I haven't been able to do that. But I have. If you're asking customer service, I've done that. Well, you no, know? it comes back to so, my original question, which is identify because I can imagine what you've talked about with your father now identifying as a boxer and that being such a very long part of his history yes. and the character you play having 29 years at a specific type of labor must really make her identify as as this as this thing <laughs> yes. right that is a huge part of her identity oh, but yeah. i can't imagine that you've had a 29 year history of of a of any sort of job no You're not like of any sort of years job old. yeah <laughs> was, exactly not of any sort of job but of of my of my father i've watched him sure. you know i've watched him fight he's was an amateur fighter when he was 16 fought all the way up until he was in his 50s you know and I, i've seen him and what that is for him you know boxing is woven into our bodies right just from him like when you're, you're we're small as soon as you can lift your hands he's got his little baby boxing gloves Holy and God. we're fighting you know where he's yeah. holding the mitts for us so it's i it feels woven into me you know so from that point of view i can definitely agree and, so, and so faye so so faye probably i won't say suffers but probably exhibits some of the same characteristics oh, right there's yes. a, a physical nature to what she's doing and what she has been doing for 29 years yes definitely it's definitely in her body and she she is the space that they are within yeah you know she she's in it all up and through it <laughs> in the cracks in the walls <laughs> you know she this is her place and it's where she feels safe you know because yeah. of how much she knows about it she knows everything and nothing it's really hard to pull a fast one on her well, this you is know? this is where I'll start. Uh, I'll, I'll reiterate our, our sort of spoiler warning because we may start talking about things in the play now that that will be revealed uh, in, in in the production, and we may not. I don't know. I don't know where this conversation is going to go. But since you brought up that physical stuff, Jason, I want to talk to you about 
the physical elements of the of the play. You've brought in a whole different type of physicality to the show. That's not just uh, um, I don't know. That's not the, it, it's not endemic to the strip. You brought it uh, to the script. You brought a, a a rhythm element to the play. That is that mirrored in the physicality of the actors, or is that just simply a, a, a tonal thing that you've done in the background? It's it leans a little bit more on the tonal side. It's definitely in the actors. We definitely we have pieces where they're up and they're making this rhythm and they're doing things physically, uh -huh. but um, it's it's more in the transitions. It's more uh -huh. in the world of the play and especially the the building, the the factory itself. You know, it speaks, it moves, it's humming, it's it's making rhythms all the time. So speaking with, um, <clears throat> I like that. It's almost like you've t taken the factory and, and made it a character. In a sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking with Ashley, uh, she's the sound designer. We've been working back and forth in in terms of like, where is the sound fitting? Where is this as a character? Like you just said, how does it help move the play? How does it help inform the play? You know, when do the rhythms speed up or slow down? When are they relaxed? When are they, you know, a little bit more tense? Yeah. And so we've been working on that to try to just get this this vibe and this feel going that that helps the play along, you know, and like you understand where the tension is not just in the actors acting in the dialogue, but it's also in the building itself. Oh, right on. Yeah. Part of the reason why um, we chose Jason was because there is a, a fifth character called the performer uh, that it was illustrated in the script. You mean in, in the script? In yeah, script. and then she talks about in the in the author's note how the play it operates in realism, but it touches on a magical or a ethereal aspect, and that. There's a, a, a mechanism in place which um, she describes as mechanical intrusion. And so I think that that's what she wants to um, associate with that, that fifth character. So what Jason has done is kind of crack that open and, and he's doing this rhythmic mechanical element with the cast itself and the the rhythm workers that you've also hired for the the job. I, I don't want to I don't want to put you on the spot, Jason. Well, yeah, I do. I want to put you on the spot. <laughs> can you is, is there is there a sort of rhythm uh, example you can just give us quickly about how what what first of all what body percussion kind of is and how it how it uh, uh, is literally um, presented in in in, in uh, the mm -hmm. play. Yeah, well, in general, my my background, a huge part of my background is doing body percussion. We are the drum. Take away all drums, all sticks, all everything else. Your body can just replicate most of those sounds. So that's what I kind of specialize in. And um, yeah, so here's an example just on my chest so I don't bounce on the table or <laughs> knock the microphone over. Here's a rhythm. So just using my chest and my snaps and my hands, and right, claps, right, right. there's a rhythm that we would do. So in the play, um, we're actually, I brought in, we've been trying a few different things. We brought in these uh, tubes called boom whackers, which give you a melodic <laughs> element, you know? That was my nickname in college. Come on. <laughs> we, we were messing around with those for like a little while and just trying to go with different notes and chords, basically, because they all have a different tone, a different uh -huh. tune, you know? Um, and then we kind of abandoned those. And then we went back to regular sticks and we're like, Let, well, let's make the set, the auto pieces, the metal from a car frame or a bumper be the actual sound versus trying to make this melodic sound out of these plastic tubes. Let's let, let it hear, you know, feel a little bit more like the factory itself. So right now we're working on banging on different things and we're yeah. still, you know, we have another week to go, you know, with sure. rehearsal. So 
we're going to continue to craft it and, and find exactly the right element. But we have some rough choreography. We have some rough rhythms going on. It's working as of right now. It still tells the story, but we're going I'm, to I'm going to just keep my eye out on can we embellish it like a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And, you know, just try to make it sound like the factory. As part of the design element, uh, isn't uh, Roxy, who's the scenic designer, she, there's like a car bumper. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you know what those those found objects are that that you'll be working with? Good question. And, and that's why in our last design meeting, that's why I asked, can you send me a picture of the, you know, because right. <laughs> things are continuing to change and move. And I know that whatever they bring in, you uh -huh. know, she brings in, we'll find the melody, we'll move, we'll shape, we'll shift, we'll uh -huh. do it. Just, okay, you bang on that, on this note, you bang it over here, you know, uh -huh. and that's, um, that's going to be like the easier part or, you know, just uh -huh. kind of spend some time and just kind of work it out. Easier part hear. for you. For me. <laughs> For me, yeah. For me, it would be a, a tragedy. <laughs> that's exactly what we did in Stomp. We're just banging on everything, and then we're right. like, okay, move this here, and that's the base. Okay, boom, boom, boom. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that part. Well, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because you use a word in your director's note, which I, I just uh, uh, read the other day and really enjoyed, by the way. Uh, but you use a word in your director's note. You use the word pivot. And you say that, that 2020 was the year of the pivot, not just for artists, but for for a country as, as well. And you're, what you're talking about now is pivoting with new props coming in and pivoting with, with a new musical uh, uh, appliance to have to, to, to deal with. Is that a big part of the play and a part of your process? Lord, um, I'll answer the second one first. Yes, that's a huge part of the process, you know, of what I'm used to doing. Like I said, you you introduced me and you said an experiment in body percussion. That's yeah. what my company does all the time. So, yeah, we're going to throw it all in the table. We're going to start trying some things out to the best that we can, you know, with skill, expertise. And then if something's just not not quite right, like Luther, Luther Vandross, the curl ain't quite <laughs> ain't right, you know? <laughs> We're going to try and try and just get it a little bit tighter, a little better each time. But yeah, pivoting is, is just experimentation. But it's so fun. Yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah. Are, are you experiencing that in rehearsal, bro? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Anytime I'm like, oh, man, this isn't. He's like, drop it. Let's do something else. Let's find something else. And I'm like, OK, let, yeah, let's find something else. It's just the pivoting process together as this this collaboration of artists has been wonderful. You know, I've worked with some actors, though, that find that frustrating, that, that they want things sort of set in stone quickly so they can rehearse yeah. it over and over again. You don't feel that way. Oh, no, no. I have. It depends on the process. Sure. But but honestly, since the pandemic, I'm ready to just I'm ready to work. So <laughs> I, I've let go. Those things are a limitation now. You know, I'd rather us all work together and be in the truth right now. Oh, that's interesting. They're all a, a limitation now. Oh, I was just going to ask you. Uh, so the rhythm part is a little bit more challenging for you, whereas the acting um, part, you feel more comfortable. No, no, both both are pretty comfortable, but it's because like rhythm is already something that, you know, I'm already a dancer. I like, you know, I, I'll do music. All of that is I'm already in that. So well, you're that's probably boxing with your dad. There's a rhythm in boxing. <laughs> exactly. Too, there right? is. There yeah. is. And, and so it's like rhythm is already kind of embedded anyway. So finding that together is awesome. It's it's so it's just so much fun. y'all. <laughs> it's so much fun. And then and then, you know, acting. Also, with these people that we've created this music with, it just it just flows. Everything flows. Oh, do, do how you, exciting! Do you like the play? I love the play. Yeah, I love the play. I think it's written absolutely beautifully. What do you tell people when they ask you what what it's about? You're doing Skeleton Crew with Public Fit. Well, what's that play about? What do you tell them? 
Um, I tell them it's about the raw truth of people doing work, doing the work together. You know, it's it's I, I always tell them it's about specifically about the raw truth. I think I just think that that encapsulates like what's what the play is. About. Is, it, is it a is it a confrontational play? I know, you know, Dominique Mariso has a history of acting. Her father, she talks about herself being her father's daughter. And I don't want to speak for her. She's not here. But in the interviews that I've sort of seen with her, she talks about being her father's daughter. Her dad was a Haitian uh, an activist and has, has written, um, you know, workers of the power in, in this, in this country. Um, does that, does that shine through in the play? Does it feel like a confrontational workers unite kind of play or is it, is it more subtle than that? Jason, what do you think? Feel, it feels more, it, yeah, it, it does touch on the bigger concept of all of us, you know, but she just she wrote it so well that each distinct character has their own thing that they're grappling with. It's not like we're all grappling against the same thing and there's one big and it's like, no, it's like even even Trenton's I, I call him Reggie all the time. I, I told him, I said, I'm going to stop calling y'all your real names and you are your character. <laughs> so I was like, Trent, Reg, Reggie, the Reggie, the character Reggie, he's a dude. He's right on the line. He is. He's just being tugged and pulled both ways, you know, because he's answering to upper management. He's middle management, but he comes from the workers. You know, he comes from that and he was promoted to this this place right in the middle. And so he's the one who has to deliver this news and try to fix things, not just for the workers that he cares about, but also for himself to try to keep a job. He has a brand new family. They just got a brand new house, you know. And so the realness of of his um, where he's coming at this thing from, you know, to try to protect himself, to try to protect all these workers that he loves and cares for, you know, one who raised him, Faye, you know, is like this. is It's so specific to him, you know, whereas Dez comes from a whole different viewpoint, you know, does. Yeah, the other male character, you know, he can he can can easily be stereotyped, you know, as almost like a thug from the streets who is doing his job, but he happens to be the best at the job. You know, he's just, you know, but is he replaceable when the upper management talks about, well, let him go, you know? And so then there's lots of tug of wars in there, you know, again, like I know you said you're I'm trying not to give too many um <laughs> too many spoilers away, but oh that ship has sailed. I don't think I think we're capable of talking about this this stuff without giving up too much away. So yeah. knock yourself out. Yeah, it's, I, you know, me, to sit on the outside to and watch, you know, uh, all of these characters develop to know the script, you know, know know where they're coming from, but then they're the the actors are breathing life into them, and you see their struggle is so specific to their, you know, like they care for each other, they care for everybody in the room, but they're coming from their own backstory and they need this for, for a different reason. So it's much more nuanced than it is workers nuanced. unite against the man. There, there's oh, a, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a more character-based nuance to it. To I, think it I love that that's what I love about uh, how she wrote this script. That's why I like the script, the words itself, you know, what yeah. Dominique Morisseau did. Um, you care about the people. Well, well, you mentioned something about... Uh, uh, Des's character potentially being a thug, a stereotype, a stereotype, a, a yeah. stereotype of the thug, and I'm, I'm always curious about that, especially in plays that we consider inclusive or ethnic or outside of white experience. That that, that we're presenting what you know what our culture looks at as a, as a stereotype, the sassy black woman, right? I think there's a real danger in that because I don't think that's a really a real 
thing anymore or is it i don't i'm it's it's not but if we're if if someone were to just sort of blindly describe your character brie someone might say sassy black woman and you probably want to punch him in the throat um you said it not me yeah well how do we, <laughs> no, that's true. How do we uh, yeah yeah those are those are certainly stereotypes to be avoided are they are, is that a, a, a obstacles that you come up against when you work when I work in, yeah, in theater, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially because I'm, I'm, you know, got the body yaddy, so of course. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, as soon as I, as soon as you have a chest as a black woman, oh, yeah. so you're a mom. You know, wow. oh, so you're a sassy mom specifically. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, sure, I could be that, but it's I'm not, a- I'm not, you're just, just to place that upon me. You know, I've played so many more characters than just that. I am sure. so much more of than course. just that. So, it, yeah, that's definitely something that, that that comes up, but that's not what I felt being cast with Faye because Faye's, Faye's so different. <laughs> She's so different. Well, describe, She's her. Gritty. describe her for us. Faye to me is gritty. She's real. She's raw. She's loving. And she can be tender and very funny, yeah. you know? So well, she is funny. She is oh, yeah. funny. <laughs> she, she plays no games, but, but she's funny. So it's like to, to boil her down to this sassy black woman, is really doing the character and Faye as a person a disservice. Sure. Well, you know? I think the play is a disservice too. She she also is hiding a, a pretty, I won't say terrible, but she's hiding a pretty big secret during the entirety of the play that we we find out very late. Yeah, um, very late in the play. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it comes uh, comes out very late in the play. Is that, how how... How much is that a part of her identity? The 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 well, I'll just I'll just say she's she's homeless. She's actually living in the plant. Yes. At this point, and uh, um, for a number of reasons, she has an addiction problem, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's hurt. And she's she carries hurt. a lot of heartbreak with her as well, you know, from the love of her life as well, you yeah. know, and that. So all of those things. Oh, combined. that's another secret. Yeah, I didn't yes. think about that one. I'm not going to mention that one. That's yeah, a good no. one. That's a good secret. That's a yeah. real good secret. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's, she's carrying a lot. Uh, but I do think that that. I think that just makes it so that she she can kind of play. She can play the room. You know, she can she can she. I want to say owns. <laughs> it's like she to her, she owns the space, yeah. you know, so she can then own how people perceive her until until she can't, right. you know, until it spirals out of control for her. Is, and, and what is what what causes that loss of control? Is it something in her or is it the the just the reality of the world around her crushing in? What eventually brings her downfall there at the end? I think what brings her downfall is watching the other characters lose oh. everything. Yeah you know, potentially lose everything, you know, and, and her recognizing, okay, I'm, I'm at this age, you know, and I'm watching all of these people who still have so much time, you know, yeah, do, how do I proceed? Do I want them, you know, is it, it's almost like a, do I want them to grow or do I, or am I going to take this in a selfish way? Skeleton Crew is a four- character play of the fifth character being the factory of the rhythm section as it is can you jason just describe for me the other three characters we've heard a little bit about what what uh Faye is all about who are the other three characters in this play so uh yeah i spoke a little bit about reggie he is the manager um he's everybody in the play is black um so he's the manager he comes from the working class but he got moved up and and it's it's a it's a prideful thing for him but it's also a necessary thing for him 
because of his identity struggles with himself. <laughs> so he he wants this. He needs this. He's he's besides uh, just providing for his family, you know, paying off the new mortgage and things like that. He also needs this personally for himself to prove that he can be this person that he imagines in his mind and not be a stereotypical thug or somebody who could you know like who can easily go the other direction so he's he's working um he's working on a few different things he's 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 multi-layered um so that's reggie we have des des is there uh he is stereotyped even by his manager even by reggie but uh he has dreams he has goals and he has action plans towards those goals it's not pipe dreams it's actually he's working on things that he doesn't always necessarily let everybody in on he has a shell he has a necessary outer shell that many black men in or black men and women but definitely black men in detroit it's a necessary thing. It's not just by choice. It's actually by... Describe oh, no. that shell to me. Well, a beetle a has specific? a shell. Yeah. A turtle has a shell. This is a necessary thing. You know, those those innards are going to be exposed and it's and not in a good way because the city itself will eat you up. It will tear you apart. It, it's just brutal in a way that you need this outside external, you know, protection. So he's built that up for himself. And many people can see that as a stereotype because he plays and he plays it well. He dismisses things a lot. You don't really see inside until another character, <laughs> Shanita. <laughs> Shanita, for some reason, she's that one that kind of, you know, we see a little crack of the shell and we see, oh, is this a little love relationship building right here? It's like, oh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> My voice gets all high when I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting on the side directing. I'm like, oh, I think, oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting like, oh, yes. Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> and I know where it's going, but then they give it. I'm like, oh, sure. So, Shanita, um, Shanita is a very young mother. She is a single mother, and that's been a part of her story. Is like not having her father, you know, her her, her uh, baby's father there, but then. It, it does leave, like I just said, it, this open potential of, is there another person who's going to fill this place? And then we kind of start seeing this relationship between her and Dez open up. You know, we, it's, it's not like we know exactly where it's going, but this potential, I think it's the cracking or the softening of the shells of all of these people who live in Detroit. You kind of really get to see it through that relationship that's starting to bud there. So it's, it's interesting, yeah. Is I'm sorry. Isn't isn't it Shanita that has the language where she talks about working in the plant, and love, and where she talks about loving to be part of that repetition of working, and, and her her love of the repetition in the work, which is not a perspective that uh, I would think it is a normal perspective, but I love the language in the play and, and how she expresses it. It, it. She's the character that talks about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that too, you know, because um, they all have a love for making cars. She expresses it through her language, through her dialogue in the play, you know, like of why she's there and why she chose this because it's spoken about in the play. She can go work at a copy coffee center, a copy center and run paper and copies and all this stuff. And it's a lot less manual labor and all this, everything. She loves making cars. I, I just. It's, I, it's like being something that is being part of something that's larger than us mm -hmm. and not being 
uh, not needing the recognition for it. Mm-hmm. Was it there's that amazing speech where yeah. she actually talks about, is it her who talks about mm-hmm. seeing the car and feeling that, that she was a part of building mm-hmm. every piece of it and, and that her, mm-hmm. uh, her essence is in that car in some way mm-hmm. of having built it. It's a remarkable speech. So, yeah, I just find that to be very selfless uh, 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 and a very interesting story point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like how it speaks to her as an individual character, right? Um, Des also has an aspect of that, of why he's here at this plant doing this thing, you know, of what cars and the car industry means to him in general. But I also think it is speaking to People, you know, like I wrote in the director's note, people are the ones who make these things that <laughs> that make our life more convenient. Right. We're the ones who put the love in. These workers are the ones who actually make this thing go for real, for real. If it was a factory, I'm just now I'm in my imagination, right? Not in the script. But if it was a factory of machines run by machines and there's only one or two people kind of just seeing if they break down. Something about that. I, th- I think that's just our hum- humanity and our love. It's like that touch would not be there. You know, you might have a perfect machine until you don't, until it breaks, until it rusts, until it whatever, you know, until the power goes out, you know. <laughs> but these people um, and their stories through this play, you know, through the words, like we see why this big industry and why the, the identity of Detroit is through the people. Yes, they make the machines, but it's, it's, it's the people. And that's where, again, just props to the playwright because she nailed it. She did. That's a metaphor for life. Come right? on. It is, like, it is the people, right, that make all of these industries work. And if there's a loving environment in all of these industries, these industries, you know, are more successful. Yeah. So, what's coming up at a public fit? Well, our 2021-22 stage reading season continues with, obviously, Skeleton Crew by Dominique Mariso, running January 28th and 29th at the Clark County Library. Diana's son's Stop Kiss will run for just one night on March 25th and will conclude this year's reading season with Will Arbery's Heroes of the Fourth Turning on June 24th and 25th. As always... Admission to the readings is free of charge, but we still really recommend arriving a bit early just to take advantage of the best uh, seating. APF will be returning to the main stage at our main stage, the usual place, with Craig Wright's ridiculously inventive recent tragic events. It runs February 4th through the 20th. And our final main stage uh, show of the season, Things I Know to be True by Andrew Bovell, opens April 1st and runs through April 25th. For more information and specific showtimes or to purchase tickets, please visit us online at apublicfit.org. Admission to the main stage productions will require proof of COVID-19 vaccination and the wearing of masks will be strictly enforced, but we're, we're doing our level best to make our audiences feel as safe and as comfortable as possible. If there's, if there's one thing we've learned in the past couple of years in these days of, of forced isolation and all this pandemic nonsense, we, we really need these shared theatrical experiences, these, these emotional stories, now more than ever. And I hope you join us, and uh, thank you really so much for your continued support.
you know, she went, uh, uh, Dominique Mariso has, has been in the news recently. Um, she pulled uh, production of a, of a play of hers from the Geffen because of some some troubles there that I can't speak to because obviously I'm not there, so I don't want to throw any uh, uh, accusations around. But she ended the, ended the production and she, in some interviews following that, she kept coming back to a line uh, she said she kept coming back to a line from Skeleton Crew from this play, and I should say Skeleton Crew is part of what's called the Detroit trilogy. It's this and um, um, what are the other two? Amory Paradise, uh, Paradise Blue, Paradise Blue, it's Pipeline. And, no, no, it's not Pipeline. It's Paradise Blue. And I think it's I think it's Detroit '67. I think that's the. Yeah. I think it's something like that. At any rate, <laughs> when all of that controversy happened, she said she kept coming back to a line from Skeleton Crew, which is I think it's it might be Reggie's line. You tell me how to fight and stand on some kind of ground in this industry without putting something massive on the line to do it. And and that seems like a pretty heavy, I don't know, a pretty heavy sentiment for the play. The idea of, of how do you work so hard and commit to something with so much of your life without really, really committing to it and putting a risk forward. And I think that speaks to, to Faye's character. She's been there 29 years she must have risked a tremendous amount. Oh, tremendously. She she has. And and I but but also, you know, but also she decided to be a union rep. Right. You know, she decided to be like, okay, well, these are the things that I I could be sacrificing. But let me learn so that I can actually fight for us. So, you know, we can pull together. I'll grab people and and I will, you know, fight for what is right. So but that's also part of her struggle with Reggie is, you know, trying to, you know, teach him in a way like, OK, this is what we can do. You know, yeah. And he has his ways about going about it and she has her way. <laughs> so but there's there's a little conflict in that as well. You know, we, we, these days we've there's a lot of. In the just in the national conversation, there's a lot of talk about, like I said earlier, workers' rights and essential workers, and how we treat the people that provide services for us. But there's also in in, in the arts community a lot of talk lately about inclusion and and how many female playwrights are represented in uh, on Broadway. And and Dominique Riso is one of the few black female playwrights who's been produced on Broadway. One of literally a handful. Um, so there's that conversation about inclusion and also about workers' rights. And these two seem to sort of smash together in this in this play. They come sort of come together to create this play. Do you feel that, Emery? That was a part of the selection for this show as well? Well, because we had so much time, downtime during the shutdown to look at so many plays, that was an important aspect in in in, in choosing a, a plays that where there was lots of rep- representation. And, you know, uh, I wanted to work with Jason. Um, we've worked together in the past. And it was funny when we <laughs> when we read the play and I was like, yeah, we should do this play. He was like, yeah, he, he was thinking he was going to be an actor in the, in the show. And I was like, no, no, I want you to direct it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because we need, uh, we need more directors uh, uh, that are people of color, and we don't have a lot of um, directors in our city that that can direct these plays, and so I wanted uh, him uh, to do that. So that was that was a key factor in choosing this play and and choosing many of the other plays in, in our season. Is it? Is it? Can I ask you guys just honestly? Is that a frust- is that a frustration for y'all that there's there aren't there is that much representation on the director's side from uh, people of color and and. Mm. Or is it you do you work where you can, you do what you can? 
You know, there's a lot of frustration in general. <laughs> to <laughs> well, to be me. so real with you, like, yeah, t- no, tell me about that. I really, I'm really it's curious like not about just that. directors for me. It's it's all it's all of it. It's it's artistic directors. It's um, it's it's crew. It's stage managers. Um, but it's so for me, it's like more so encouraging so many talented people that I see to get into the role. Yeah, you know, it's it's like. It's like grab that. You can you can be that director. You know, it's it's beautiful that you were like, no, Jason, you can be that director. You know, um, because you because <laughs> you are. <laughs> you know, you are. You're so it's it's just dope working with you too. You know, um, so but yeah, it's definitely frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. Uh, is there a cure? Not a cure. Is there a solution? I mean, is there a path forward in, to to end some of that frustration? What do we hmm. as a as a community, what do we do to ease some of that? What do you think, Jason? You take that one. <laughs> you open a Pandora's box. I know. <laughs> no, I'm, honestly, in a good way. I'm, yeah. I'm honestly curious because my perspective is obviously from you know this bald white guy. This old. I gotta say old too because I come from a generation, right? So this old bald white guy. I I, I honestly have no any perspective I have might not even be valid. It might not even be well. Let's add in the industry yeah. that we're in is theater. Right. The patrons of theater are gray hairs, white people. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the reality. Yeah. That's yes. who you are serving with your a public fit theater company. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you. It's not just exactly. I'm one white guy with one perspective. You know who you're serving as a business. Yes. You know that that's where your money is coming from. That's the reality. Well, not just our so, spot. Not, well, to be fair, not just our patrons, but our audiences too. I, we we have a very white audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, I'd I'd love to see that change. And I think honestly, yeah. if we're being very honest, part of the inclusion for, of plays like this are hoping yeah. to bring more uh, people of color into the into the audience. Yes. Uh-huh. So let's uh-huh. start there. Yes. Right. So, yeah, uh, and that's why. Yeah, when we when we had those conversations, you remember in the beginning, I was like, oh. <laughs> when, <laughs> you you I remember just in the process we did the reading I think I played Des in the reading right and then I talked to you afterwards and I was saying hey there's a lot of rhythm in here and we haven't really we didn't really discuss it in the in the talk back right after the reading I was like are you thinking of really putting this in your season I would like to just come in as a choreographer or something with the sound and the thing you know and then you were like oh I was thinking that you could play the role and I was like okay Okay, cool. And then we we waited a few months, right? And then we came back. In my back. mind, I was thinking, I was thinking you could play the role of director. And I was not. <laughs> I was not thinking. I of really you was. Being in the play. I was like, I want you to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. I knew I couldn't do it. And, okay. And that's why I loved okay. our conversation when I came here and, and you know, like, but that developed. That was not right at the onset that I thought I'm going to direct this play or anything. I was like, number one, and this kind of goes back to your original question, you know, like the frustrations or whatever is like plays in this city. One, the theater community is so small. I wish it was more. We all do. You know, we want to grow it. We, we like when and it's do. growing every year. We and, and it is. Yeah. Soho is down right here right now. Right. You know, yeah. we have our, our standards here. Broadway and the hood is producing a lot more. Yes. These years, back you know? to back. So, and at the same time, both are true. I just went to New York last week to go see plays. Yeah. <laughs> I saw four different productions, you know, three plays and a musical to expand my mind because, you know, part lockdown, but part like some things just are not being produced here. You have to go to other cities to see where is the pulse and what type of stories are, you know, on the business side being sold. Like they're still getting audiences. They're still getting patrons as they have, like like you just said, you know, they have slowly introduced and changed what Broadway looks like, you know? 
um, I see that that's what you're doing. And that's why this conversation with, with Anne-Marie, you know, that's why it ended up moving and developing because this world just over these last two years, you know, just with this pandemic, just that alone, you know, of course, the George Floyd and the huge reaction, not just in this country, but around the world. When we saw those images coming, mm-hmm. and those people standing up every single city around the world for black people. And that's the distinction between People, people of, of color, color and black people. Indeed. It is a separate subject. And that's why black lives matter, not all lives matter. It's a separate subject. Because sure. in this country, black lives have been through a specific thing. Sure. So to always group us is is a detriment to the movements forward for black people. So well, and it's not a monolith. Period. We can't talk about yeah, it as some sort of monolithic thing that that all black people such and such, all yeah, Latin exactly. people such and such. Yeah. It's, a, it's a we make that mistake in politics. I think we make that mistake in culture too to suggest that that black culture is a thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing. It's a myriad a melange of all sorts of 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 different types of, of of cultures and and attitudes and things. And I understand where the where that original thought came from, you know, because when at a time most black people in this country were enslaved, okay, there's one thing that we can all group them together as, you know, but it's been centuries now. Come on, let's move, you know, so yeah, and and we have and we've progressed and we moved forward and we've shown this. Well, we've tried. I mean, it's it's America's original sin and it's going to be really difficult for us to sever the ties with that history Mm -hmm. in any sort of progressive way when we're still very reluctant to acknowledge the, the, the very real atrocities of that time. There's a lot of us that I think are just afraid to bring it up because it feels like pulling a, a scab off and touching a fresh wound and making something that should be scarred over um, fresh again. Uh, at least that's a perception I, I have. Maybe I'm wrong. And Well, and so we do what we do. We do what we can control. You guys invited us. You invited a new black play to be read on Zoom. One thing, you know, you invited it to be a part of this season as a stage reading too. You invited a black director three. It's like nice. So we make these steps that we can control because what it does is it introduces and it opens up the door wider for regular humans and in this country to understand and just get one more exposure to. We're not going to fix it all like that. That's never been the expectation, but things like this, putting a play in your season like this with a black voice, black writer, black director, lets us understand each other even more. It puts us all at the table. And that's what we do. Well, I think it's important. And I think it's because we're so concerned with the the power of storytelling and the, the communal power of sitting in an audience and experiencing a story together. It's I don't think it's just the 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 makeup of the actors on stage. I think it's the makeup of the audience as well. And as you guys know, after all of our shows and all of our productions we bring as much of the audience as as wants to comes back and we talk about it we buzz about the about the play and we discuss it what sort of what do you guys sort of expect from the buzz the the post show buzz for this play are are some of these issues going to be brought up do you think or what is it that you want to talk about where where do you see yeah where would you like those conversations to go that's going to be number one this is my honest reaction like um I don't have an expectation. I don't I don't know what they're going to ask. So that, and that's that's for real. I know what I've been focusing on in the rehearsals. <laughs> so if they actually asking about the play and the subject matters and all that stuff, oh, we're going to be on it. We'll be able to talk and dialogue and everything, you know, and I know it, it immediate like we just went into it. It talks about the rest of our country and the rest of our culture as well. But um I just want to serve the play. I just want the, the story that's written in this in these pages to come out in on the, you know, in the theater. And that's, that's what I'm super just 
just focus, focus, focused on, you know, so I want to deliver this play out in the flesh, like, like theater does, you know, and then let their minds go free and whatever they ask. It's like, I'll, I'll try to be as, as open as a book as I can. You yeah, know? Tell a compelling story and then see yeah, what that, let's that, tell the that story that's you. written, you know, mm-hmm. what about you, Brie? Do you have any expectations about audience reaction or sort of the conversation that this play will engender? Honestly, no, that's so funny. I don't, but I, I assume, I just, I assume that, that, you know, blackness conversations will come about, (laughs) you know, like I assume there will be questions about, about rhythm and things like that and about the story, but I don't really have an expectation for what will be asked. Well, I I don't, I, you know, it it sounds like I'm suggesting that everybody has an agenda as we come into the show that there must be some agenda behind it all. And I think you've made it clear that it's the agenda is to tell a really good story, a compelling story with, with, dynamic characters and with rhythm and 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 uh, uh, some surprises I, I hope in in the show and then beyond that the agenda is is perhaps what is really subtextual from the playwright if there's any at all is that is that fair I think this play is <sighs> I think what she wants or at least what I want here's one of my expectations when you say the, she you mean the playwright, uh, the, the playwright yeah okay. Dominique Morso Mariso <clears throat> This is accepted as, not that it was rejected, but accepted as an American play, not just a black play. I think that's the real beauty of this script because each character is so distinct and defined that the audience is just gonna really identify with their journey and their struggle. Yeah. And that just is just an American play. And they do it through such an American industry like the auto industry. That's the real expectation before all of this, who's black, who's white, who's this. And that's why that the manager is not a white man. He's a black man who's yeah. dealing with these different struggles in different ways. So I think it it moves that it, if it is, if it does come up, I think it's secondary or it's, it's after the fact that we really connect to these characters as an American industry. See, I, I, I just love that perspective because it's always frustrated me in reading in the literature and interviews or whenever these topics come up, we talk about black America and white America and God damn it, we just, we have America, yeah. right? And that the, if the melting pot is truly to be embraced and to, to succeed, those sort of distinctions have to stop. And we just have to accept that within this big, you know, umbrella, we have a lot of strange melange of cultures. Um, but to identify, well, black America, Latin America, like I said earlier, it's not, we can't be a monolith. White America is certainly not a monolith. Black America cannot be a monolith. Um, uh, so I'm really glad you said that because that, that, uh, um, really makes me look forward to see, seeing the story. No, it really does. Because a play with it, a play with an agenda is almost certain to fail, I think. I feel that if you come in with a with a, a fist raised or a sort of angry approach to to I'm going to these people when they leave the audience, they will understand now this thing. I think that's a pretty dangerous I had to learn through that through through the years, through the past couple of decades of doing shows and performances and theater and you know and, and being represented, sometimes being the only black person in a whole cast, you know, cast of seven you know like yeah it's like okay what's being told here what's going on you know sometimes i do have the the power or the influence to bring an agenda and i have done that at points and then later after you look back a couple years later and you're like what what happened you know and you just kind of analyze it it's not that it was wrong because i think you know many choices are done in the moment for a certain reason, just like we study history and we don't really understand the full context of everything at that moment. We just kind of look at it through our current eyes, you know, and so everything can look silly or sloppy or whatever. So 
I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't regret any choices or agendas that I may have brought into any one thing in the past. Cause I think there was a purpose and there was a passion and there was, you know, but I've also grown to, to, for this mindset it's it's expanded, you know, it's like, okay, no, let's, let's really look at this with bigger eyes, with broader scope, you know? And I think in this play, you know, at, at least right now, that's my scope right now. It's like Americans will attach to this play. They'll understand what's going on in here. And I think that that's, as we're in this pandemic with all these jobs, be, you know, it's just left and right. We're in this huge, just crazy waves of, of change right now, you know, and jobs are a, a huge thing right now over the past couple of years. I think they'll be able to attach to this in that way. They'll be able to identify with a lot of the things going on. I love yeah. it. I, I love it. I think that's a, a great place to sort of end this, this conversation with the idea of, of, uh, um, I hope we lead with that. A universal yeah. Yeah. Yes. When we do the buzz. Mm. We're going to turn it over to you. Yeah, I think so. I'll stay home that day, Jason. You do it. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah. I, I, I think that's it for this episode of, of Behind the Buzz, APS continuing conversation about the, the stuff we do. This was season two, episode three. Um, I want to thank you, Jason Nias and uh, uh, Brie McCollum, for such an open and, and really frank discussion about all sorts of things skeleton crew specifically but a lot of stuff came out today i'm really glad we had a chance to talk about uh you out there hey yes i'm talking to you if you enjoy these conversations well i hope you've subscribed but uh have you taken the time to give us a quick review i mean your feedback not only allows us to improve upon the podcast it also helps other listeners across the interwebs to discover these discussions and then join aps unending conversation. You can also contact us directly by email by writing us at behindthebuzz at apublicfit.org. And we, we love to hear from you. And frankly, talking about the work is, is one of the favorite things that we do. So uh, drop us an email if you like. Behind the Buzz is a product of a public fit theater company. It is mixed and edited by Adam Paul with help from Diane Walton and is produced in association with Giant Leap Industries, Adam Paul director slash wandering minstrel. of Giant Leap Industries.